Hi, this is Sean Hessinger. Hi, I'm Sean Hessinger. Hi, I'm Sean Hessinger, and this is Small Biz in 15, the show where we bring you small business success in 15 minutes or less. Please like and subscribe. Like or subscribe. Like and subscribe if you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the year-end Small Biz in 15 show, where we'll look back at some of the highlights of the first seven months of our program. In the very first episode, as the world was finally beginning to emerge from two years of shutdowns due to COVID-19, the show was dedicated to two surveys conducted by our sister site, BizSugar.com, that showed big changes in the way small business owners were reacting to the pandemic. I talked with Evena Taylor of DIY Marketers, who conducted both surveys. What do you think is the most startling uh, result that you saw in the post-pandemic survey instead, as opposed to the prior, you know, before the pandemic? The results in this survey, why I think they're so important for so many, is that it really tells you how small business owners, main street business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, freelancers, people like you, people like me, actually dealt with the pandemic. When we ask our uh, respondents what their biggest challenge was in 2019, it was sales. In 2020, it was marketing. And the exact same number of people said that, like 43, 44%. In 2019 said it was sales and like that exact same number of people said it was marketing. What I think that means most of the, a lot of the respondents we had, like I said, are main street business owners. Okay. So these are folks that are in your neighborhood, like Mr. Rogers used to say, right? They're restaurants, they're businesses that function on an in-person basis. Not all of them, but a decent amount, like 30 some percent right? That's a, that's a good amount of people. So those folks in 2019, of course, wanted sales. Cause like, who doesn't want sales? It's their biggest challenge. More customers is better. More customers is more money. So sales, yay, always a challenge, right? But in 2021, they said marketing was a challenge. What happened? Did they suddenly say, oh, we're going to advertise? If you're selling in person, if you're a restaurant and people come into your door, and buy stuff like a retailer or a restaurant or something, that is a sales function. I want more customers, customers coming in, but suddenly you don't have people coming in. In person is gone or significantly reduced. Where does that, how do you create that transaction? You suddenly blip over into what we call marketing. I don't think sales went away. I think it just got reclassified. Next, small business owners understand the importance of online reviews, but the complexities of government rules surrounding the process have some people overwhelmed. In this segment, I spoke with Mike Blumenthal of Near Media about why you can't afford to ignore customer reviews if you want your small business to survive. What do you say to the business who says, you know what, I'm just not going to participate in review sites anymore. I'm, I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. I, I This is just so overwhelming to, to think about. Well, I did some research several years ago and I've continued it where I looked at the source of new leads for local businesses. Somewhere between 75 to 90% of those, 95% of those new leads came from Google. And the bulk of those new leads never made it to the small business website. 
They stopped at Google, looked at the information that was on Google, and made a decision right there to either do business with you or not. Either take driving directions to your business or to call you. Some of them went onto your website and made additional calculations. So I would say if you ignore reviews, you're ignoring one of the best way to find new customers and you run the risk by not allowing all of your customers to give you a review of just the unhappy ones leaving your review at Google, which is what's likely to take place. So you have a choice. You can have just the unhappy customers leave your review at Google or the really happy ones, or you can encourage every customer to leave your review at Google. Now, if you get an automated system, it shouldn't be overwhelming. If you pick a system that's sort of ethical and principled, they will take care of being in rule compliance. So you don't have to worry about it too much. You should double check when you sign up that they are. But beyond that, you put your email addresses in or your SMS numbers in, you set it up and it just runs. So I don't see any reason why a small business shouldn't engage in reviews. I think they're too critically important to your reputation, but I think also there's a lot to be learned from reviews and a lot of information that you can use to improve. And any business that isn't improving is getting worse. And in this competitive world, that's a surefire way to not succeed. Yet another episode about how the pandemic has changed the business landscape. Monique Johnson, founder of Live Business Lab and the Move Experience, explains how virtual business events can not only save you money, but increase your reach in the post-pandemic world. You'll find this discussion particularly inspiring. As someone who hosts an in-person, that is a lot of money. Hotels with their union fees and all kinds of different things, that is a lot of money. Even if it's for a small kind of like mastermind or round table in a conference room, you'll be surprised how the expenses add up because you have to order a certain amount of food. I mean, there's so many different factors to, 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 to think about here. So if you do have a large enough budget where it's, you know, you don't have to worry about it um, bothering your business or your bottom line, uh, you know, then if those two things are uh, something that you're, you feel that you're strong or more adept with, then go ahead and, and do in person. But if you're a complete newbie, or even if you're looking, say you aren't a complete newbie, but you're you want to introduce a new concept, right, or a new um, philosophy or anything like that, then virtual is the way to go. Because again, of the cost. Now, granted, there is a cost with virtual events. Like if you want to have high quality, then you need to invest in in equipment, right? Um, so there is those factors there. But again, it's still like this compared to in person and virtual. So you still have to deal with some costs of that costs of software and things on how to get um, people involved. If you're doing email marketing, I mean, Facebook ads, there's so many different things and you would use ads for both in person or virtual. But um, again, you know, with virtual, it's to me, it's a great kind of level playing field for anyone, no matter where they are in their business or with how they're delivering a specific type of content. To me, this is an opportunity of the level playing field for anyone to have a much larger impact. If you are someone, if you're a leader who wants to impact thousands, hundreds, millions, billions, virtual events is the way to go. 
and with the growing importance of Millennials and Gen Z as part of your customer base, Riva Lazansky, CEO of GrowBiz Media and SmallBusinessCurrents.com, chatted with me about who these two groups are and what they really want from your business. You'll find the answers to these questions both surprising and insightful as you plan for your business's future. Are people who are younger absolutely going to shop online and never going to step into a retail store? No, because, and I think that's the group that led the surge back to retail. It's because for them, shopping is a social activity, right? They don't go into stores themselves. They go in with a group of people. They're trying stuff on. They're sending pictures to other friends. It's kind of a group fun activity. And so that group has embraced that. And so they led this the the charge back to the stores because they felt they were younger, that it, it was okay, you know, they were vaccinated, they could be, you know, they weren't worried about being exposed to anything. And they wanted to have fun again. And for them, fun is doing things in a pack. And so that's a big thing that people overlook. And so you want to, like for one thing, um, restaurant owners, which is kind of retail, but kind of not. One of the, uh, one generation that is huge in restaurants is Gen Z. They love to go out to eat. And so many restaurant, even teens, so many restaurant owners see some teens coming and are like, no, I don't want you in my restaurant. But they spend, they're there, they spend money. It's it's the biggest, um, I'm waiting for the new talkie, taking stock with teens survey, but the, the, the one for the spring, this past spring, shows that they're spending money, a lot of their money on food. Food is, for overall teens, it's like the number one spend. And so again, you want to make them comfortable. You want to, you know, make them, um, not feel like they got to eat and run because they're going to sit there and they're going to just keep ordering stuff because that's what they do. They like to hang out. So take advantage of it. Finally, if you're a prospective franchiser, you may be surprised by this next segment. Joel Lababa, the franchise king, recommends not to go with the usual suspects, McDonald's, Burger King, Dunkin' Donuts, etc., when looking for that next opportunity. Listen to this conversation as he explained why. I guess my question is, why would you look for a new uh, franchise idea? There are these, you know, franchises do so historically well, like the McDonald's and... Right you know, I don't know, Dunkin' Donuts and things. Yeah. Why would you look for a new one? First reason would be because there's no territory left in your area. There's no availability. Mm -hmm. There might be a, a Dunkin' Donuts that's a half a mile down the road and another one that's a mile and a half, and the area might be sold out. People like looking at young franchise concepts because it's a way for them to get in on the ground floor. Because looking at a brand name franchise like a Dunkin' Donuts or a Burger King or a McDonald's, uh, it doesn't mean that there's availability in your area. There may not be. There may be someone that owns the entire area, your county or your zip code. So um, the other reason is, boy, there's nothing like having your first choice of territory. If you're looking at a young franchise concept and there's none around, you can usually have your say in what territory you'd like. And the franchisor will be a little more open uh, that way. Matter of fact, you might even be able to get a little extra territory because you're a, you're a new franchise owner. Um, the, the cool thing is that you can almost be a little bit entrepreneur-ish at the beginning 
because there might be only two or three franchises across the country or in the area. And the owner is still kind of figuring stuff out. So you might say, you know what? These, uh, you know, this this coffee ground uh, or, or this coffee style isn't doing really good out here. How about if we try this one instead? The franchise or maybe, you know, very open to that, where if you were doing that with Dunkin' Donuts, they'd say, uh, no, this is how it is. This is the coffee you serve. Here's the eight brands, eight types, and that's what you do. And that's it for another episode of Small Biz in 15. Thanks again to our guests, and please like and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And please leave a comment and let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future programs. For more small business news and tips, join us at smallbiztrends.com.